episode 171 of the Cricket Hair Weekly. As you might be able to tell, we are recording this at New Road, Worcester, the beautiful cathedral in the background. Um, we're here for the resumption of the Rachel Hayhoe Clint Trophy after a little bit of a break and we've been watching Sports v Thunder. We're not going to talk about that, Sid. We're going to talk about um, some of the very big news events that have happened last week. Now obviously we only recorded our last episode a few days ago um, and we delayed that because of the release of the um, report by the Independent Commission for Equity in Cricket which was released on Tuesday. So you've got our kind of insta reaction um, having first read the report but it's obviously been a few days now. It's had a few, uh, a few days to kind of permeate out through cricket and we've had a little bit longer to think about it. So having had that bit of extra time for reflection, Sid, have you got any extra thoughts or extra reflections on it now? Yeah, definitely. Well, first of all, we know we've we've seen the ECB actually come out and you know give their reactions to it. And I, I'm going to admit I've been slightly surprised by their reactions mm. because you know generally um, we saw one of the riches. I never remember which one is which. Um, or rather, we heard him on Radio Five Live give give his reaction you know, later in the day after we'd recorded our podcast. We've also heard Claire Connor uh, at the game yesterday. She was also talking about it. And generally, the ECB have been you know very kind of receptive mm. to it and very positive. And most importantly, they've, they've been suggesting that they plan to, if possible, implement all of the recommendations. Yeah. So my expectation definitely would have been that they would have come out and gone, yeah, you know, we, we understand that these things are very important, but, you know, um, we'll, we'll have to prioritise some of these things and, you know, we can't, we can't make change happen overnight. Whereas what, what we're really seeing here is those ECB executives coming out and going, yeah, you know, this, these, these are right and, you know, we're planning to do this. Some of this might be challenging, but we're going to do it. Now, you know, there's a couple of possibilities here. I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely possible um, that, you know, when these people have come out and made these statements that, that they haven't been properly briefed and they're not really thinking about it. I don't think that's very likely. I think these people, you know, are their professional executives. Claire Connor in particular has been doing this a long time. You know, she's, she's not going to be poorly briefed. She's going to know exactly what she's going to say going into that. So if she's saying that, then you can, you know, make a reasonable assumption that that's the official line. So what is that official line? Is it, you know, is it that they are planning to deliver on these recommendations or, you know, perhaps the other side of it, have they gone for more of what you might call a Boris Johnson strategy? Are they, have they made a conscious decision that they're gonna come out and say, yes, yes, we're going to do all of this while actually knowing that, you know, they're, they're not going to, um, you know, which is it? Well, I think in the short term, we're going to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? And we're going to hold their feet to the fire if they don't deliver on that. Uh, but yeah, it has been I think, interesting. I think we have to give them the benefit of the doubt at this point in time. But obviously, the scepticism that we're expressing comes from, I think, a kind of broader knowledge and understanding of um, you know, cricket specifically, but also British political life, where we have these periodical reports issued into various um, kind of... Uh, 
institutions um, that are found to have very uh, difficult problems. You know, one example would be the Metropolitan Police Force, where there's been a number of reports over the last 30 years that have said it's really terrible um, and, you know, expressed that in various ways. Um, and as we know, uh, reform has not come about. And in cricket, we actually had a report in 1999 that was all about racism um, and nothing was really done or seems to have really changed as a result of that report. It was sort of, um, you know, met with... Uh, what appeared to be open arms by the ECB, but then was kind of a little bit kicked into the long grass, if I may say so. Um, and so obviously the concern is that that might happen again. So we're giving the benefit of the doubt, but I like what you said about holding their feet to the fire. Um, I thought it was really interesting that Heather Knight, um, actually on in her press conference, which was on Friday, um, which was her first opportunity to kind of actually give a public statement about her reactions to the report, um, did actually come out and say, you know, I agree with what's been said in the report, or, you know, I recognise some of the scenarios that are outlined in the report, um, and I think that um, we do need to work a lot harder in cricket to kind of, um, to bring about, um, you know, reform and changes. But she also issued a bit of a challenge to, uh, to journalists like us, and she said, you've got to be part of the change um, and I thought that was really interesting um, quite an interesting personal challenge um, I guess that you know for us we've very much been um, you know trying to advance the cause of women's cricket through cricket hub but there certainly are examples of, of media outlets where their very practices are set up in a way that massively disadvantages women's cricket um, and you know some of these media outlets a lot of media outlets in this country and elsewhere do need to take a long hard look at the resources that they're allocating to women's and men's cricket um, and actually kind of go okay is that is that fair is that um, you know is that appropriate um, and perhaps we can do our bit to bring about change yeah, I mean, partly this comes from the editors and the editorial aspect of it, yeah. doesn't it? Because, you know, let's be honest, there is no newspaper in this country that covers women's cricket in the same detail they cover exactly. men's cricket. You know, they have, all of the big newspapers have cricket correspondents, but cricket correspondent essentially means men's cricket correspondent. You know, and, you know, The Guardian do their bit, and, you know, you are effectively The Guardian's women's cricket correspondent, but, you know, you're a freelancer who's only paid, you know, when England actually play. Um, and you know that's not the same as having you know a full-time member of staff who, whose role is devoted almost entirely to cricket. Yeah, and the Guardian are one of the more progressive outlets, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the Guardian's coverage of the, the recent women's test—they gave it a, a good amount of prominence, yeah. you know—and we've kind of heard that, you know, that that was reflected partly in, you know, the, the viewing figures that they got, and that the, the Guardian were really happy with their viewing figures. Yeah. I know that Sky were really happy with the viewing figures, but again, Sky aren't necessarily putting putting the same resources into women's cricket as they put into put into men's cricket, um, and you know, so that's it's, it's, it's Heather's right. It's everybody's challenge within the game, and you know, we certainly shouldn't let the media you know get away with you know uh, kind of ignoring those same issues that the ECB are trying to address. Now Sid I know you've got some strong views on um, a particular element of the report um, with regards to the MCC um, specifically in relation to women's cricket one of the recommendations was um, about uh, Lords um, and the, the Commission has expressed kind of some horror that the England women's team has never played a test match at Lords and I believe the ECB have now come out and said okay England women are going to play a 
a test at Lords um, within the next couple of years. So that's very exciting. But there's a broader challenge here about um, the kind of the, the, the governance setup of English cricket with regard to the fact that the MCC is sort of its own separate entity. Yeah, and the, the kind of the, the one aspect that people have come out and said, you know, this isn't going to change. We're not going to do anything about that. Is um, the, the very specific one of the the Eton v Harrow match at Lords, which has caused a lot of controversy because you know it is a match that's been going on for a long time, and for a lot of members of the MCC, it's you know, an important part of the calendar. A lot of members of the MCC went to Eton or Harrow. Many of them would have played in the match as boys themselves, and you know now in the gentlemen of a certain age, you know they're determined that they're that they're grandsons and great-grandsons will continue this this important tradition and What's... of course there was an attempt to abolish <laughs> it um, and it was there was a, a kind of member revolt wasn't there the, the MCC members are revolting, as my dad would say. <laughs> so what's 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 happened here is that the ECB have been able to basically go, well, that's nothing to do with us guys. That, that's all down to the MCC. There's nothing we can do about mm. it. Now, for me, the very fact that the I mean. The, they are to a certain extent right that there's nothing that the ECB can do about it because it is down to the MCC, but it shouldn't be the case that the MCC, a private members club, the, the vast majority of whose members are these you know, late middle aged, old age white men. I think you mean type K's. <laughs> um, are, are allowed to have this kind of impact with, within, within cricket, yeah. are allowed this position. This hugely privileged position where you know the MCC remain technically in charge of the laws of the game and they remain in charge of the, the, the home of cricket, the, the, the most yeah. hallowed space within the game. And I think that the time has come where the ECB needs to take action in order for the ECB to take control of Lords and to take effectively take control of the MCC. So now, how do they do that? Well, the reaction, the reaction of anyone will go, well, of course, but the MCC is a private members club. There's nothing they can do yeah. about it. I'm sorry, but that is simply untrue. The ECB are in a position to take over the MCC if they really want to. Um, and how do, how do they do it? It's, it's, it's simple, guys. You go to the MCC and you go, there'll be no more tests at Lords. There'll be no more men's ODIs at Lords. There'll be there'll be nothing at Lords. We'll take Middlesex away from Lords, you know. Or you can hand over the keys, chaps. You've had the keys for several hundred years. I'm afraid that your time is done. Your time is gone. Um, and if the ECB were prepared to force it through, there would be nothing that the MCC could do about it. The MCC could resist. They would be bankrupt within three years. And because the ground itself um, and the, the, the famous pavilion are listed buildings, that means that in this country there's nothing, you can't, you can't build on that land, you can't sell, sell it for building, you have to maintain that, that environment you know, in, its, in its kind of situation, then legally they're, they're in no position to be able to do anything except the only potential buyers for that are the ECB. So if the MCC were to hold out, the ECB would just go, okay, well, give it two or three years, you'll be bankrupt, there'll be a fire sale, we'll buy it in a fire sale, or you can hand it over now and make it much easier. You know, is, is that tough, some, tough, some tough action from the ECB? Yes, um, but you know, as Raf wrote in her, her Guardian piece, you know, these people will feel, there'll be, a, there'll be an outrage at it, but you know, when you're accustomed to privilege, as you wrote, equality feels like, you know, oppression. And, um, you know, it will feel like oppression, but I think that that's what needs to happen. Not literally, but metaphorically, burn down the MCC. Wow, that's, that's a, quite a radical proposition, proposition Sid, in the week in which we've heard 
a lot of very radical propositions. Um, I, I am, <laughs> I am slightly sceptical that your very radical proposition will be um, considered by this ECB three-month grouping of people who will be considering all of the recommendations purely on the basis that they've got a hell of a lot else to think about in those three months um, and of course Claire Connan was on the BBC yesterday as you say um, and just being just slightly equivocating um, basically saying obviously a lot of the um, recommendations are just about being nice to each other um, but some of them do have a greater financial impact and she kind of said we need to sort of weigh that up and, and think about that um, anyway we shall see what happens. But thank you for your radical input, Sid. Perhaps you should have been on the on the commission. Anyway, should we talk about the ashes? Or do you want to talk about the ashes or should we just <laughs> pretend it's not really happening? Nothing happened, did it, Pat? <laughs> no, I mean, no, look, um, let's look at the positives, first okay. of all, from that game at Birmingham. I mean, how amazing was it to, to look out over Edgbaston and to see the best very nearly 20,000 people in that ground. Um, you know, we've been in there for the Commonwealth Games. Oh my goodness, we've and... been, sorry. We've got Naomi Gitani just uh, hitting, balls hitting up behind us. Quite hard at us. I'm a little bit scared here. Um, sorry, Sid, interrupted you. Yes, it was absolutely fantastic. Um, it did remind me a lot of the Commonwealth Games. It's the first time I've been back to Edgbaston since the Commonwealth Games, so very exciting. Um, and as you say, like, an absolutely fantastic atmosphere. Uh, yeah, and a little bit of a different kind of a crowd, I think. Okay. So a lot of the ticket holders in the Commonwealth Games were people who'd you know, gone into the, a ballot for tickets and they just, people from, from Birmingham that wanted to get to, to be a part of the Commonwealth Games. So they were like, well, maybe we'll get some tickets for the athletics if we can. If we're not, maybe we can get some tickets for the, you know, the, the badminton or what have you. So a lot of people, those people that ended up with the cricket weren't specifically cricket fans, um, you know, which is a positive thing, you know, that we, we, took, we took the game to a lot of new fans there, but it did feel it was much more of a cricket, mm. a cricket audience, mm. and much more of a partisan, you know, kind of fan mix there. That you know, people were, people were, you know, cheering and they were they were booing occasionally, yeah. um, you know, when stuff they didn't like happened. There was the yeah, there was the huge cheer when Alice Gutcher comes out to bat, and then Darcy Brown throws down the stumps and runs her out, and there's a bit of a boo goes up around the ground. So. Um, lots of, as you say, partisan fans enjoying the cricket. Yeah, but the ECB have taken this big decision to go with to go to the big grounds, um, and it, you feel it was really justified at Edgbaston last night. And you know that's the kind of guarantee that this almost that you know Edgbaston is going to be part of that picture going forwards, and that Birmingham is going to be part of that going forwards. Um, and it was just wonderful to see so many people there, you know, and they all had they had people had a great time, people enjoyed it, people sang along with the cheesy songs, and and it was just a, a wonderful occasion. It was perhaps a slightly less wonderful occasion, however, if you were an England player, because ultimately they were disappointed, weren't they? They were. Um, and you have to say that it, it was close, um, but I guess the, the real difference was Beth Mooney in the end, who obviously carried her back through the innings. Um, and she's just, she's, it was a very Beth Mooney type innings, because you're sort of, oh my goodness. <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. I don't know if people could hear that. But that just, the ball just, there we just sent just that ball absolutely thumping into the fence behind us just made me slightly jump there um anyway yes beth mooney played a very beth mooney-esque innings in the sense of you know there's lots lots of eventful stuff happening at the other end beth mooney just going about her business um finished unbeaten on what was it 60 odd um just very calm and was just um yeah the difference between the two sides actually i think amy jones in the presser was asked what's the difference between the two sides power australia managing to get across the line um, and she just said it was Beth Mooney. They had somebody who batted all the way through. Now, England obviously had 
So Vera Dunkley, um, who made the half century, and then that wonderful um, in, uh, innings at the back end um, by Amy Jones. Um, yeah, we've been a bit critical of Amy Jones, haven't we? And you know, yeah. we've we've said that you know she she often you know as, as soon as you can put her in front of you know a few fans at, at Worcester or whatever and she'll play wonderfully and score big runs. You put her in front of a high pressure situation and she won't. But she came out last night, you know, England weren't in a great situation. You know, they were looking like making a pretty poor score. They needed someone to come in and really pull something off and she did. She hit at a strike rate of nearly 100. She scored, what, basically 40 something off, 20 something balls. Um, and, you know, great contribution. And then she also performed really well with the gloves didn't she I mean she, she basically pulled off a stumping that, that it was like you know one of those that no, there's no other wicketkeeper in the in the world that would have pulled off that stumping yeah. perfectly timed it, it was so fast that you know you literally you, if she if she'd chosen to blink before taking the ball that wouldn't have been enough time um, and she also took another couple of catches well one of them was quite late on wasn't it and where she you know, she ran to take a high catch um, that was kind of an interesting because mm. you, you spoke to her in the press conference and she was like a little bit down about that moment wasn't she I felt so sorry for her in the press conference. Um, it's obviously been a difficult few months for her, kind of personally, off the cricket pitch. Um, and she just came out into the press with just looking very flat. Um, and I said, you know, that's probably your best innings um, for England. And she said, yeah, it possibly is. It's, it's definitely up there. Um, but I just can't take any satisfaction from it at the moment. Um, and also, you know, I, I did ask her about that high catch that she took in the final over. And she just said, well, by the time Sophie Eccleston came on to bowl that 20th over, um, we, I, I was just deflated. I felt we'd already lost, and so there were no nerves under that catch um, because there was no pressure attached to it. Because it didn't matter. I knew. I already knew we were going to lose, um, and that was, that was interesting because watching it, I, I genuinely felt like England was still in with a shout. But I suppose they're just they're just so used to Australia being able to make something out of nothing in those very pressure moments, and 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 that's ultimately what happened. Um, I have to say, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a cliche, isn't it, sort of taking the positives. Um, England are 6-0 down in this Ashes series. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't pick up a point in the rest of the series. Um, but it, it's got a very different feel to 2019 when they were absolutely hammered um, in the last home Ashes series by Australia. To me, that felt very much like Australia were miles ahead of England um, and it was quite embarrassing and it really led to um, you know, huge reforms in our domestic structure, the setting up of this new professional regional system in order to try and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Australia. And I feel like in this year, 2023, England are going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Australia. Um, it's a bit of a cliche and of course, um, you know, we've still got to get, we've still got to work out how you take that one step further and get over the line. Um, but, you know, even though quantitatively the results are probably going to be very similar to 2019, I just feel a lot more positively and I don't feel that we're going to end this, end this series looking round for a scapegoat in the way we obviously did in 2019 and Robbo, um, Mark Robinson as coach got the boot then, which I still think was unfair. Anyway, I don't think that John Lewis has, has got anything to worry about. Yeah, um, I think that, um, you know, partly this, particularly yesterday's match, I don't think Australia played particularly well. You know, Beth Mooney did her thing, but, you know, they still lost a few wickets. Um, they, they, they weren't great in the field. Um, it very much looked to me like fielders weren't in quite the right places. You know, when Mag Lanning is captaining the team, you know, it's, it's a, your typical image of Mag Lanning is her 
you know, just just a yard that way and a yard a yard over there. Um, you know, Alyssa Healy wasn't kind of making those kind of mm -hmm. detailed field changes. She was leaving a lot more to the bowlers, um, and it just just felt like you know that there's always been this thing with um, when Meg Lanning is captaining the Australia that you know. Uh, a ball hit by the batter always finds the fielder. Whereas what was happening last night was that England were able to, you know, nerdle and burgle a lot of singles because the, the balls weren't finding yeah. the fielder. The, those fielders weren't in quite the right places. They, the fielding wasn't being tweaked in quite the way that Meg Lanning was. And that's where, you know, we, we, we predicted this, you know, that's where they're gonna miss Meg Lanning. Um, but at the end of the day, they still came out yeah. on top. And, you know, I, I wouldn't bet on them continuing to do so through the rest of the series, to be honest. Yeah, it's an interesting one, obviously, um, with, in, oh gosh, this is going to be a very philosophical uh, moment <laughs> in the podcast. In Mike Brearley's The Art of Captaincy, he talks about the advantages and the disadvantages of having your wicketkeeper as the captain. And one of the disadvantages is the extra energy it takes for them to go and speak to the bowler between balls, because they've got to obviously get right out of position, nab the bowler and then get right back into position and it's just extra energy um so you know it feels like at the moment for australia at least perry is fulfilling that role she is the one who's kind of fielding at mid on or mid off or mid wicket or wherever and he's able to go and pat the other bowlers on the shoulder between deliveries have a bit of a word with them um whereas healy is kind of remaining in position uh, behind the stumps except between overs um, so you know they're, they're, they're trying to make it work for them the other thing that Healy has obviously got going on is she's got two broken fingers for heaven's sake and she actually did say um, and in one of the presses at the at the end of I think it was day four of the test no it would have been the end of day five when she came out and did the captain's presser um, she said you know I'm on painkillers and I'm having to try and get the balance right between trying to eliminate some of the pain in my fingers and trying to be able to concentrate and we know you know painkillers dull the brain that's they, they're doing what they're meant that's to do that's literally what they're supposed yeah. to do yes um, and so that could potentially be affecting her captaincy as well so I think um, you know Australia have got a lot going on but it's very frustrating because they're still managing to win um, by the time we record our next episode, obviously, um, the next two T20s will have been played um, and we'll be a bit further on in the series. So I suppose we'll bring you some more reflections next week. But I think we better wrap up now, Sid, um, before one of us gets hit in the head by one of these cricket balls that's continually coming in our direction. Um, let's go back and let's go. Sorry, let's go now and watch the end of uh, Sparks be Thunder as Thunder come out and try to chase down this total. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. See you in a week's time. Run! <laughs>